Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Good morning. Welcome. Good to have you here in the house. Praise God. I am uh, Pastor Ben. My responsibility is I'm one of the directors here at the Father's House. I am also uh, the overseer of the what we call the safety ministry. How many like to be safe? We work diligently at that. I want you to know I am blessed because of those folks that uh, work with me. Everybody, whether it's rain or uh, shine, when you pull into that parking lot, somebody's going to be out there to guide you into a place to park, right? They're here early, too, setting up signs, doing all kinds of stuff. You also not only have somebody seeing you there, but also when you come through the front door, there's somebody to smile at you and greet you and welcome you, and they're serious. They're, they're not just, we don't pay them by the, by the smile. They actually are interested in you arriving. The house is also kept safe as people come in. You are ushered to your seat. There's people here sitting back in those red seats to make sure that medically we have no issues. We have security here. We have those who take care of our pastor. The whole point of the safety ministry is to make sure that when you cross the threshold of this church, what is, what's the name of this room right here? What's this called? Sanctuary. sanctuary. That that feeling of sanctuary exists not only here, but all the way through out until you get into your car. And when you get in your car, you have that same feeling because God is with you all the way home. Amen? And if you would like to be a part of that ministry, let me encourage you to please, on the back of your, your connection card, just indicate safety, and I'll give you a call, and we'll talk about it, right? But make sure you put your phone number on there, because when I just start calling anybody in a phone book, they're going to wonder what I'm talking about, all right? You're, but you're enjoying the Psalms, somewhere in the Psalms. Martin, uh, Martin Luther said that in the Psalms, you see the grace of God shining through. Isn't that a great statement? And, and what's really beautiful about the Psalms is out of 139 of those Psalms, they are prayers and they are songs. They are, they are the heart of the writer. And there is not a single human emotion that you cannot find in the Psalms. Not one. Now, you notice I said 139, and some of you are going, wait a minute, isn't there 140? Yeah, because I'm going to talk to you about the first one. If you've got your Bibles, go to the Psalms 1. And in a moment, we're going to read Psalms 1. It's not that long. And I, I want you to understand that even though all the other psalms are prayers and songs from the heart, beseeching God, today, today I'm going to read to you a psalm that is not that. It's, it's a warning. I'm going to give you a warning. Now, it's going to be a simple message, but hopefully if you listen to it, you'll start seeing things in your life that maybe... Maybe you might need to pay a little more attention to. All right? Let's read this together, beginning with Psalms 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Read with me. Nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like shaft, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. 
For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You read that and read the rest of the Psalms, and you'll notice this first one is just a little different because it's more of a warning than it is a prayer to God by the psalmist in regard to his own heart and what he is facing in life. The other uh, week or so ago, I went to the doctor's office, and in the lobby where I sat and waited for my appointment, they had a number of books. And one of the books that I picked up was an architectural digest. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen those, but they're really cool. They got a lot of really neat pictures in them and stuff. But there was a paragraph that just jumped off the page at me. And I wrote it down, and I want you to hear this. Listen to this. This is from the Architectural Digest. A cornerstone is the first stone laid in which all other stones receive orientation, direction, and placement. Did you get that? A proper cornerstone and strict adherence to it can determine the strength of the foundation. How many know who our cornerstone is? Isaiah 28.16 says it this way. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. The word means not be shaken. God has put within us a measure of faith. Every one of us. And Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, sets our course. And the Holy Spirit guides our way. But we are responsible for building that foundation of faith. Because it is upon that foundation in which we then construct our life. Are you with me? And everybody does that. There's no exceptions. Everybody does it. It just depends on who the cornerstone is in your life. I mean, it may be your family or your career. It may be uh, your wealth. And you will build a foundation of faith upon that cornerstone, and there your life will be constructed. Not long ago, a group of people came home, probably after work or shopping or whatever, and they, they went into their homes and they made dinner. They may have watched a movie, played a game, uh, read a book. Then they went and they locked the door. And they went to bed feeling secure and safe because they locked that door. This is their home. And before the night was out, their home fell to the ground. What they had put their confidence in did not stand. What was it that caused that horrible tragedy a few weeks ago in southern Florida? What, what, what was it? I mean, I got to tell you, honestly, you know we're going to hear an awful lot of reports about what it was. We're going to hear about who's at fault and what, who to blame. But I will tell you that I'm very confident that I can tell you literally what the cause was. And I think you will find that it'll be true even in spite of all the fault and all the blame that we will cast. It was persistent erosion that was either seen or not seen and ignored. That's what it was. Persistent erosion. One of the things that we fail to recognize 
with all that we have in this world and all the things that are coming at us continually is the foundation that you have built in your faith in Christ can be eroded. Forty years ago, I married this woman. And three years after that, she led me to the Lord. And I can tell you honestly, over the last 35 plus years, my faith has been bombarded and undermined and constantly eroded all the time, and I constantly have to rebuild a new layer upon it over and over and over and over. When you see family members and people you love hurting, and you wonder, wait a minute, <laughs> where's your faith? You, you rebuild it. You stand, you tighten up your Jesus cleats and you dig into that foundation, right? But you have to remember that the psalmist is telling us a warning, and what's he warning us? I want to focus on just one verse in the Bible this morning, just one. And that's the first one. And I want you to read this out loud because this is your memory verse. Everybody, make it loud, okay? You ready? Here, wait a minute. Before we go any further, <laughs> everybody's, whoa, you're ready to go. I want your ears to hear what comes through your two lips because then your heart will receive it better. Isn't it amazing how what you think is more important than anybody else anyway? So open your mouth and let your ears hear this verse, because this is the warning of what transpires, because erosion doesn't happen overnight. It takes, it, it takes time. Let's read it together. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, Ladies, you are not exempt, all right? Although, guys, we are more apt to go that way. He is talking to all of us here, and he's telling us very clearly that we must recognize that erosion. Understand, that foundation that brought that building down that was weakened, it was strong enough to hold that building up for 40 years. So the foundation was not the problem. It's what eroded the strength of the foundation. And that is where we have to keep our attention. Because many times we think, oh, my, my faith is strong. I hope so, because there's something underneath it. And there's always going to be something underneath it, so long as we stand in this world before we walk in the presence of Christ himself. All right? Look at that first word. Let's do a little word study. Blessed. Blessed means happiness. It actually refers to a life worthy of being admired and desired. We see, we all admire people. We all have, we all have this, this, this inner desire to envy. We envy people for what they have. We envy people for who they are. But not everybody does that to everybody for the same thing. I envy people, guys in particular, who have a 67 Corvette 427 Posse Dragon. <laughs> I, I envy them. I do. Does my wife? Not so much. Right? But I do. But there is one thing we all envy in a life, and that's a life that's happy. That's a life that has joy. We envy that. Who wouldn't? Because that's what we desire. All right? So blessed. And this is, a, this is the same word that Jesus uses. In Matthew chapter 5, when he does, gives the Beatitudes, where he's talking about the citizens of his kingdom. 
And he uses the same word where he describes what they are to do and who they are to be that will enter into his kingdom. The difference between what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and what the psalmist is saying in chapter 1, verse 1, is he is simply saying, it's not what you do or who you are. It's what you should not do in order to be who you are. Listen to what he's telling us. Let's look at the first action word. What's the first action word that you see here? Walk. What is he talking about, walk? Walk is, <clears throat> the word here actually means a casual stroll. It's just, it's, it's, no go, it's not going someplace in particular. You're not in a rush. You don't have to get, you're just going for a walk. Or maybe you get in the car, you just go for a drive. You ever do that? You know, you just got to get out of the house, right? You, you put on your mask, you roll up your windows, you, you, you put all that antivirus stuff all over the doors, and make sure the handles are clean, you get in and you go. Because you just got to go somewhere. Nowhere in particular. And as you're going along, as you're going along, things are starting to happen, but you, you don't really notice it. What are you doing? What, why do you go for a drive? Simply to get out there in the traffic? Believe me, nobody wants to be in traffic. You're going for a drive because you simply, you want a different environment, yes. something else. But it, the whole point is the way it's, it's a casual movement. It's, a, it's, it's complacent disinterest, basically. That's what it is. You're just cruising along. You're window shopping. Yeah. You ever go window shopping? My wife and I love to go to these little towns. Anytime we go into a town, we always want to go into the old town because that's where, like, like Mount Dora, you know, you just like to go down through Mount Dora and you go window shopping. You're not looking to buy a window. You just want to look at stuff in the window. And you're just going, did you go there to buy stuff? Nah, you went there just to walk and enjoy it, right? That's what he is talking about here. But where are you walking? Look at the second word. You're walking in the council. Oh, okay, what, what could that possibly mean? It means advice. And what's interesting is it's hard and firm device, advice, rather. It's not talking about just, hey, how you doing? Good. Listen, watch out, there's an open manhole. No. It's, it's a little more than that. Hey, stop, there's a manhole. It's trying to get your attention. You're going down the, the freeway. Somebody spent an awful lot of money on a, a lot of very large signs to get your attention. There are billboards everywhere in this state. I've never seen anything like it. They're everywhere. They're constantly telling you stuff. Why in the world would anybody spend that kind of money on a billboard when they know that you're supposed to be keeping your eye on the road? Why would they do that? Well, let's put up a billboard. Why? Nobody's going to look at it. Are you kidding me? How many have looked at the billboards? Of course you look at the billboards. You see them all the time. And, they're, and they're, you, you may think, well, you know, I don't pay any attention to it. Well, no, you don't slow down. You don't even stop. You just, it, it's just there. And now, it's here. Are you with me? Because just as you come up to the stop sign and somebody bumps the back of your car, three things are going to happen in your mind. The first is, ow. The second is, what in the world? And the third is, did I get the number off that guy's sign? How many know which sign I'm talking about? Yeah. It's in there. And whose counsel is it? Look at the next word. The wicked. That's pretty obvious. 
the wicked. It, it, it's to be, the, you know the problem we have with the term wicked or evil and stuff like that? We have a problem that Hollywood has instilled within us that we're looking for somebody that just, you know, walking around waiting to eat your children. Now, if it was that bad, we'd collectively come against it. Trust me. The signs that are working into our mind are not that bad. They're worth dwelling upon. They're worth taking the time to read. All right? What it means for the wicked is simply those who are ungodly. You're getting counsel from the ungodly. How many have seen those signs as you're going along that a child before birth is a child? How many have seen those? Have you ever seen those? Oh, let me say that again. Have you seen those signs that says, I'm here for you with a phone number if you need something, if you have a pregnancy? How many? Really, again, I want to see the hands. Okay, okay. Now, how many noticed also that directly across the street, there's another sign that says, Triple X Bookstore right ahead with another phone number and address? Isn't that amazing? Half of you, or all of you, pretty much said you saw it. I only caught in four hands that saw the other sign. Isn't that po politically correct? You saw the good sign, but you didn't see the bad sign. Same size, right in front of you, but you, that one you didn't see. No, you saw it. You just don't admit you saw it. Don't allow it to simply go away in your mind. Take a recognition that there are things that are there, and they can erode. Know what is flowing underneath your foundation. Are you with me here? Because that sign didn't go away, and you did, in fact, see it. You just don't want to tell anybody you saw it, because I wasn't going to pay no attention to that. I would love to be a person that that doesn't happen to, but unfortunately, I see the same signs you do. What's the next action word? Before we get into stand, let me just ask you one other question back here. I'm going to try to ask you a question in each of these. But here's a question for you. Who do you receive counsel from? Or what do you receive counsel from? Last May, I was just sharing with, with Sean, last May, I spent the entire month of May avoiding the news. I was the most uninformed human being on the planet Earth because I did not watch anything that had to do with news. And if it was some major issue that may have arisen and I should know about it, my wife would tell me about it. But beyond that, I did not want to know anything. And I didn't. And I had an absolute on... Did I not get, become a happier guy? I became a happier wife. <laughs> 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 Amen. Amen. <laughs> I did. I, I just, I wasn't all tensed up. I wasn't wired up all the time because I got tired of hearing the commentary instead of just the news. So I just stopped listening to it. And, and now I only will watch the weather, and just a little bit of what's going on, and that's it. That's it. I used to be a news junkie. I'm not going to do it anymore. Why? Because it was counseling me, and it was creating within me an anger. You get the erosion taking place here? Erosion isn't that. It takes time, but it, it happens. All right, now let's get on with the stand. What happened with the stand? Well, you stopped. You were just walking, and now you ain't. He just stopped. But the word stand means more than just simply stopping. It means to take a stand. It actually refers to making a declaration. Well, what has happened from this slow walk? 
well, suddenly you've taken the counsel to heart. Those things coming off the signs are now no longer simply possibilities. Now they've become directives. And take note, they're not telling you to just go buy any old product. They're telling you to buy a specific product. It's not just any old lawyer that's going to get you a hundred gazillion dollars. It's only that lawyer that will do that. Those signs aren't designed to simply just get your attention so you have something to look at on the way down the road. They're designed to get into your head so that when you come up someplace you'll, and need something, you will know where to go. If you're hungry, that's the place to eat. Are you with me here? And we, we go along through life all the time thinking that all these things that are, are coming in and flowing through us, it's just no big deal. I mean, I'm not that interested in the signs. Of course you're not. They're not interested in you being interested in the sign. They just want to plant the seed. Where are you standing? When he says you just, you stand, you just stop. Because you're no longer a casual, dis, uh, you're not, it isn't casual disinterest any longer. Now you're very interested. You, you have to, you haven't just driven by and remembered that lawyer. Now you're slowing down so you can get their thing into your speed dial. Something's happened. Who? Where are, you, where are you standing? It says, in the path. What does that mean? In the path is that area that's marked out, that certain precise way of life. We're no longer just driving along kind of, you know, on certain misdirection. We've actually now accepted it, the information, and we are now making a choice. It's not by chance. We're making choices now. We're starting to determine where we stand on issues. We're actually debating these issues and asking, tell me if I'm wrong, and you're finding out, yeah, well, they, their argument is better or louder or more charismatic, so I'll probably go with it. Why is it that major denominational churches are changing their doctrine on what is true and what isn't in this word? And did they just do it overnight? No. The foundation has been eroded, and it's weak. And when the pressure and the weight comes on, you fall. You give in. You're not standing anymore. You're participating. My, I'm in that, 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 that street. I'm going along in Mount Dora, and my wife is with me, and I'm just walking along, and we're talking and visiting and looking through the windows and all this. And, of course, gentlemen, you'll understand what I'm about to say. You start to go into describing to your wife the fact that you personally have an understanding of global warming and, and world hunger and the meaning of life. And I mean, you're, you're really describing just how brilliant you are as you're going along, and you notice the people are looking at you kind of funny, and you think, what are they looking at? And you realize they're looking at you because you're talking to yourself. <laughs> you don't have your cell phone, and your wife isn't there anymore. Where did she go? She stopped saw something in the window, and she's no longer an observer or just as... She's not just looking now, she's participating now. She's moved from being just a window shopper to a buyer because you have to find where she's at before she gets too deep into that store. Are you with me here? What happened? Something caught your eye and took root, and you're no longer walking the path. You are now in the store. You've now become a buyer. All right? That's the path. And whose path is it? And this one is amazing. A sinner. Oh. Well, we're all sinners saved by grace. Hallelujah. Hey, hey you ever wonder what a sinner, sinner looks like? Look around. 
Is that creative sinfulness or what? Our God knows that the house of God is to be filled with those of us who are sinners. Because crossing that threshold tells us we've got to find something bigger and better than the, the life we've chosen to live. And that life is our God. Here's the interesting part of this. We always say a sinner. Well, it's just like, it's just missing the mark. It's just not being our target. That is a truth as far as the definition. But just like English language, the Hebrew language, Hebrew language takes its definition of its words, not only in what it means specifically, but also the manner and method in which it ex it's expressed, how it's expressed. You know, as an example, if I, had a, if I dropped a, a cookie on the top of the table and I went, crumb, well, the chances are you might look down and go, he's talking about the crumbs. But if I said, crumb, well, because I'm mad, I broke my cookie. Right? It changes the whole meaning. It went from an object to an emotion. That's the same with the Hebrew. And here, this Satan, listen to this. One who has accepted a lifestyle that is contrary to God. An acceptable lifestyle contrary to God. That is a sinner. Does that sound like anything that rings a bell with you in our world today? An acceptable life that is being lived out not only by the individual who has brought acceptance, but in a genre or group or culture that brings acceptance, but it's contrary to God. It didn't say this person was evil, just this person is contrary to God. And you haven't stopped in the path, you're not standing in the way, you didn't stop in their path, you stopped in their path, you participated in their path. You see how easy it is? Our culture today, for some reason, we have got literally, literally, more things hitting us today. Every minute of the day, seven days a week, our children, our parents, our, our siblings, our grandchildren, all of them are constantly being bombarded over and over and over and over and over, where it's never been like that before in human history. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that we have a worse time than any other time in history. No. I am suggesting, however, there's a whole lot more to erode the foundation of our faith today than any other time in history. I'm amazed at how many Christians that I will hear, and if you are one, come and talk to me, will stand up and look me right in the eye and tell me, well, I'm kind of curious about this thing that I saw. It really made a lot of sense to me. And besides, it was on the History Channel, <clears throat> you know, where the Martians came and then, you know, or they'll, they'll come off with some weird thing and try, to, and try to mold it into God's Word and see where it fits. And then they'll come and ask me that question. You come to me, but bring your Bible. Come to me if you've got that mentality. That you've allowed yourself to be eroded, the faith in which there's only one to put it in, and it's starting to get kind of gushy down there because you've watched, heard, thought, or argued with somebody who got a hold of your heart and planted seeds of dissension against God. There is only one God, and one Son of God, and one Holy Spirit, and that is the one that we love, and that's the one we serve. And let me ask you, it's not to suggest that you should not be a friend of sinners. How many want to be Christ-like? 
I want to be more like Christ. And guess what? He was called a friend of sinners. He was. So I need to be a friend of sinners. The difference being is that I cannot participate with them in their sin. Because too often we want to be a part of something and we want to be a part of it so much that we start to blend in. And we're not just simply walking with them anymore. We're not just standing with them anymore. We are now starting to look an awful lot. Well, you know, you can't tell the difference between the saints and the sinners. And here's a question that I'd like you to take home and ask. Ask yourself in the car on the way home. Ask your spouse or your, your children or whatever. Maybe tonight or over lunch if we can beat the Baptist out, you know? Just, just ask yourself this. Your neighbors, people you work with, those you go to school with, do they know you're a Christ follower? Do they know you are a Christ follower? Now, if they know it, make sure it's not because you told them and not because every Sunday morning at precisely 8 o'clock they see you dragging the kids out with a 48-pound Bible and the dolly and you're getting in a car and you're going down the road and on the back of your car you've got a fish the size of a marlin back there and a big Jesus Saves bumper sticker. That is not to tell your neighbors you're a, you're a follower of Christ. Does your life tell the people you know know who you follow? Because they will know who you follow. My question is, is it Jesus? Is it? And if you say, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Do you realize how few of us want to offend anybody? If you want to be Christ-like, take note of one thing. This friend of sinners that we serve and we worship, he offended them to the point that they killed him. Now, how Christ-like are you willing to be? Because we're getting really kind of weak on our foundation in this world around us because we don't want to upset anybody. You know what really gets us bad? <laughs> we don't want to be called names. I want you to know if somebody calls you a hater or what any other name they might want to come up with, there's only one reason they're doing it. Because they've ran out of ammunition. They got no argument left. There's nothing left. Call you a name. What does that do? Puts it in your court now. You have to defend who you we called you. I'm not either. Yeah, don't do that. Don't give them the credence for it. But stand your ground. Because Jesus Christ stood his for you. You stand yours for him. All right, next action. Closing action word. Sit. Well, any of you feel guilty yet? I mean, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm standing. <laughs> what does it mean? The sit is to establish a place. It's a non-active function, you might think. But get a hold of this. It's an active involvement in an inactive action. Did you get that? It's an... <laughs> Let me say it again, because it got me tongue-tied too. It's an active involvement by an inactive action. To sit. And you know what's the problem with sitting? Is it makes you vulnerable and you're at risk. You can't retreat really quickly when you're sitting. You don't know really who's coming up around you when you're sitting. You don't know what's coming. And if something's coming at you quickly, there's not much you can do about it. How do you get out of your seat? Because, see, the next word is where you're sitting. And where are you sitting? In a seat. Get that? Well, what does seat mean? It just simply emphasizes the sitting part. Seat 
or the sitting means it's a habitation, a permanent place. See, you're no longer an observer. Now you're part of the team. You've moved from casually walking along to taking a stand and declaring to actually sitting down. Man, you just moved in. There you are. Now, now you're sitting. You're comfortable. You're, you're getting, well, you're a full-fledged member. Now, I know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here, but I know that many of you will probably say, well, yes, I, I, I am there, but I'm not participating. I'm not participating. I'm, I'm, I just sit quietly. I do not argue. I don't say anything. I don't bring anything up. I don't declare what I believe because I set that back and starting to declare now what they believe. You see, or whoever that might be, or whatever that might be. Now you're just sitting. But sitting's cool because, well, you're not really creating a problem. You're not causing any grief. You're not upsetting people. You're just sitting. You ever go to a football game? What do you do when you go to a football game? How many here go down on that field and take the lumps to move that goofy ball 10 yards? Oh, none of you? Okay, how many here would go to a football game and take a seat and sit down and watch the game? Yeah. Do you realize that what you did by sitting down in that seat is the single most important part of that entire thing? Because if you don't come in and sit in that seat, and nobody else comes in and sits in their seat, there is no point to send billions of dollars on a brand new stadium. There certainly isn't point, any point of paying millions of dollars to a bunch of guys to go down and run over each other for a goofy ball. There isn't. There's no point in it. Why? Because there's nobody in the seat. Do you see the importance of what I'm talking about in just simply sitting quietly and patiently? It's simply telling you that it's time to stand up and turn on your Jesus cleats and dig in. Because who are we talking about here? Whose seat is it? Scoffers or mockers. Who are the mockers? Do you ever wonder when you look at every game we have, every movie we've got, every television program, everything like that, they take this word so often and use it as a foundation to create some weird movie from Armageddon to, to the return of the Messiah. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff out there. And it, they actually use the scripture, or at least those things in the scripture, that they can use for their storyline. Why, why is it? Why is it that you can get a rating for foul language? You can get a rating for violence, and you can get a rating for sexual, uh, sexual content. And it doesn't have to be all three. It can be any one of those, right? Why is it that there's no rating for those who will take, and, and there's no rating, not even, it doesn't even vibrate, to take the literal Son of God and His office, Jesus Christ, and use it as a curse word, and nobody, well, we don't, that's not a problem. Why? Also, have you ever... Have you ever seen a movie or a, a program ever where something happens? I haven't even seen it here or in life, ever. I'd like to see a hand of anybody who's seen this. Where 
an emotion takes place, an anger takes place, and a surprise takes place. Something happens, and just, you just utter a, a word, and you went, oh, Buddha. <laughs> Anybody? Just now, yeah. <laughs> I mean, why is it that they, what is it about the Son of God that they can use as a curse word without any ripple or concern? And you can put it in any place you want. Because he is the most high God. And it says clearly in the scriptures that he will be brought down to a level by those who he has come to save. <laughs> you got to be kidding. Why in the world? Why, let, me, let me just ask you, why is this happening? Why is such mockery made of the Son of God? Why? Why? I will tell you why. Because the foundation that we are standing in is too stinking weak to stand up and fight against it. When's the last time you heard anybody talk about Allah or make a, a movie about the, the Koran? Why don't they do that? Well, they're fearful because somebody will come against them. We don't come against them. We just go, oh, damn, golly. Oh, well. And we sit in our seat and our foundation has eroded. Does that make my sense? Please forgive me for a rather uncomfortable message, but the very first psalm, the very first verse, the cornerstone of the psalms is telling you before you read any more of them, make sure you're standing on solid ground. And ask yourself on your way home, just ask yourself, how's my foundation? What is, it, what is eroded where I stand? In verse 2, Right after verse 1, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In other words, right after giving you a warning, he's saying, this is how you show up, show up your foundation. This is how you do it. And verse 3, what's it like? This is the result. He will be like a tree. She will also be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. And how many would like this? And whatever you do prospers. You know, a farmer who wants his crop to prosper tills the ground. He works it. He seeds it. He breaks his back day and night for it. He does what is required to make it grow well. How many here, without raising your hand, how many here can honestly say that you have tilled the ground well enough to get down to a solid foundation and you're comfortable that you stood your ground well? Don't raise your hand. Because if you really think about it, you'll know what has been working its way and eroding the foundation of your faith because that is what you're building your life upon. If you're here and you keep your eye on me for a second, we'll close our eyes in a minute. But if you're here and you have never, never called upon the only cornerstone that you can build a foundation on in which your life, and doesn't matter where you're at in your life, doesn't matter what happened past, it's matter what's gonna happen today and forward. 
if you are here this morning and you've never called upon our living God, Jesus Christ, who came and died for us, if you've never called upon him and said, come into my life and be my cornerstone, God has given me a measure of faith and I have squandered it on all kinds of things. But now it's time for me to draw a cornerstone that will make my foundation sure and strong. And that will be you, Lord. If you've never done that, or maybe you've done it and you know it's time to come back because you've allowed too many things to float underneath it. I want you to think about it in a moment. We're going to pray together. And I'm going to ask you also one more time to ask this question as you go home. How many people know that you are a Christ follower? Take that Marlin off the back of your car. Peel off the Jesus Save sticker. Be the Jesus they need to see and not read what they think they need to see. Amen? Now close your eyes. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you, if you're here and you know it's time to set a whole new cornerstone in your life, and maybe, maybe he's been there before and maybe you've, you've, you've built a strong foundation, but you're feeling, you're feeling like it's... Uh, not strong enough to carry the load anymore, not like it did. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to, without anyone looking around, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. I see your hand. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Okay. How many here that you know that your foundation is not as strong as made it had been? Maybe it's just it's still there. It just needs a little undergirding. How many? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All, yes. Oh, all around. Yes. Praise God. Then let, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Help me, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit to gird up the foundation of my faith in you alone. Help me, Lord, to stand firm and proclaim your truth in peace, in love, but always in truth and with a heart of love for those whom I'm talking to. You picture who that is in your mind right now because they need to hear what you have to say. Father, be with these folks. Encourage them, uplift them, and strengthen them and let them know, Lord God, it is you and you alone in whom they can turn to. Help us, Father God. And I pray while we're sitting here now and praying together with a single heart, be with those families who lost so many. Be with those who have worked so hard to save and retrieve. And help us to see that horrible event as a lesson for our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God is good amen. all the time. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.